Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive professionally and personally. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler and my guest today is Dr. Adam Fraser. Adam is a peak performance researcher and he works with all manner of people to help them achieve better performance in everything they do. In his time, he's worked with elite athletes and teams, business leaders, educators, and even special forces soldiers. He talks about how we can have peak performance without the collateral damage. Adam and I often find ourselves presenting at um, similar, if not the same events, but we've actually never uh, sat down face-to-face and, and had a chat. So uh, I've really been looking forward to uh, this conversation, and I'd just like to you know, thank you, first and foremost, for making the time to have a chat, and uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Uh, my pleasure, Dan. It's been a while since I've seen you. Last time I saw you, you were on stage facilitating a panel with Sir Ken Robinson. Oh, really? You were there, right? Yeah, yeah. I was in the audience, and... Oh, can I tell you, I don't know if you remember, but no one asked a question. Everyone just stood up and used it as a platform to mm. kind of spruik. And I was just sitting there going, this is the calmest dude. Like you handled it super well, but I was sitting there going, I want to scream at these yeah. people. So uh, yeah, I've got a uh, huge kudos for you on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I recall that what you talked, yeah, we, has anyone got any questions? Yeah, and they think, oh, this is my chance to have a monologue on the education system, yeah, right? And, like, yeah, people yeah, were yeah. like seriously monologuing yeah. for minutes. And, uh, and at one point you went, all right, the next person has to have a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, cool. So um, is it, that's that's quite funny because I'd forgotten that. But um, so, look, I've had a quite an interesting journey to what where I where I've got to, and, and the, as you say, facilitating panel facilitating panels with Ken and things like that. You know, yeah. like five years ago, especially ten years ago, you were going, "Nah, mate, what are you talking about?" So I'm always interested in how it is that people get to well one what people do but also the way in which they they got to where they got so you know if people google you you know we we hear peak performance we see ted talks we see books um was that always the plan or i didn't really have a plan i mean when i left school i i did a year of engineering because people i knew were doing engineering like Mm. i had no idea and then i hated that so much and i transformed over to biomedical science which is a blend of psychology and physiology and Mm. i I really fell in love with performance and i'd always played a lot of sport and was very active and uh, i had a view that i wanted to go work in elite sport so Mm. i did my undergraduate um then I, I did a stint at the AIS, which I actually didn't enjoy very much. No. It was it was not not the best job I'd ever had. Um, and then I came back, did a PhD in biomedical science, uh, and really my PhD looked at how lifestyle factors affect uh, performance, well-being, uh, mental health, and happiness. Mm. Which uh, this was in the mid to late 90s i think so it was actually quite a groundbreaking phd because it was looking at things we weren't really talking about so uh, i was an academic at a university and uh, businesses started to ask me to come in and talk to them about what i was doing Mm. and my research and i fell in love with business and i fell in love with presenting so um, i became a keynote speaker and was doing you know 130 keynotes a year and i did that for quite a stretch um yeah which is uh, full on but um after my phd i kind of almost needed therapy to get over it 
Uh, and I kind of went, oh, I'm not doing research anymore. I'm going to be a keynoter. And, but then what I started to notice is that, and this is a huge generalization, but a lot of people who were, had a lot of depth were very boring. Uh, and a lot of people that were very entertaining were kind of thin bit. deep. Yep. So I went, well, how do, we, how do we be entertaining and have rigor? And, and so research became part of what we did again. So our, mm. businesses, our business has like a, uh, the presenting arm. Uh, we also do large-scale programs and interventions, but we also have a business called the eLab, which does partners with different universities around the world to do research. Yep. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, so if you're if you're at a party and someone makes a beeline for you and says, "Hey, mate, what do you do? Yeah. In, in, how do you sum that up in yeah, a way I, that doesn't drive people away?" I kind of I kind of pause, and yeah. I was asked in a meeting the other day, "What's yeah. what's your PhD about?" And mm. I went, "Oh, well," and they went, "It's yeah. not good that you're pausing," <laughs> but it, it, I, I kind of find it hard to describe mm. what I do. You know, whether it's peak performance research or um, I, I suppose. Yeah, I'm a researcher who who looks at how do we actually here's 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 what I do. Yep. I'm a researcher who looks at how do we perform better, but not with all the collateral damage that mm. comes with that. Like most of the successful people I know are a disaster. Yep. Like, and you'd know this sports people. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you'd know this because yeah, you're yeah. one of those people. <laughs> not yeah, yet, anyway. Yeah, not yet. Yeah, uh, it's my initial impression. Um, but you know, like most of the the CEOs and executives mm. I know are on their sort of third marriage, mm. and so th these really successful people leave this trail of destruction behind them. Mm. So our research looks at well, not only how do I perform, but also how do I not fall apart at yeah. the same time. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really interesting. Um, take on that because um you mentioned the AIS just a minute ago yeah. so I was at um, an event uh, last year at the AIS and there there was a representative there from and I, I might be wrong but it, I think it was the British Olympic Committee and he actually and this was at a well-being event a well-being athlete well-being and he kind of said well it's an either or you can either have peak performance you can either be the best or you can have well-being and what they're yeah. finding is it's a real challenge to have both and I yeah. guess I'm curious as to how you would square that how what would your response be because in the room people are like going oh so this whole event was a waste of time then if this guy's right what's your response to that because presumably your research is showing that there is a response to that standpoint gosh that is one of the most interesting questions I've been asked for a long time and I think I'm I'm heading towards that guy a bit in terms of like you can either be the elite but you're probably going to be a bit of a disaster. Mm. Um, what, we're, what we're looking at is how do you achieve a, a level of performance? So how do you fulfil your potential but not without all that destruction that mm. comes? But I think if you want to be like that 0 0.00, yep. yeah, you're probably... Yeah, which to be fair, is, yourself. there's going to be very few of those people, without any disrespect to people listening to our podcast, but there's very few people who are going to class themselves as the yeah. gold medalist at the Olympic Games or the, you know, whatever it might be, you know, the next, I don't know, Bill Gates or whoever, right? Yeah. But um, for the people <laughs> yeah. who are predominantly listening to this, this chat, is there hope? Is there hope that we can be perhaps better than we are at the moment? in our job, in our family life. Yeah. 
and do that without it coming at the expense of the other. Yeah, massively. Yeah. I mean, that's what our research shows, and that's the whole point of what we do is how do we um, improve that? And our, we have empirical data that, that backs that up. Mm. So you, we, you talk about you know, the, the personal relationships or the physical well-being and things like that. So if we were to take personal relationships, yeah. without obviously naming names and without saying it's me, how, <laughs> how, how have you seen that play out? Why is it that people can be successful in the professional world and be a disaster at home because aren't, aren't there synergies between how you because with usually you know being successful in the business world is getting on with people mm. presumably yeah. what, what, what talk to me a little bit about why there tends to be a, a dichotomy between p professional and personal success yeah what we've found is that one of the big problems if we just look at that how yeah. do i go from work to home piece is number one people aren't mindful of how they show up and what they tend to do is take the mindset and the behavior of the day home with them. Mm. Which, And what we have to really understand to make those two worlds successful is that you have to be agile and transform and evolve and be a different person in the home as to how you are at work. Because mm. work is much more about like, how do I get this task done? How do I communicate really effectively? How do we minimize... Um, the resources we need for this and whereas home is much more about well should be about empathy and compassion and understanding and what what often happens is we just we just transition home but drag all that day and our behavior home with us mm. so it's about um being mindful of that but it's also about specific behaviors that we can do that build connection much mm. more i mean one of the biggest problems is just people's inability to be present and be able to turn off in the home like mm. they just can't stay there um and one you know the things that often i hear is also people say work gets the best of me mm. i walk through that door i got nothing left like i'm drained i'm exhausted yeah we, we when we work with teachers in particular you know the reflection is often other people's kids get the best of <laughs> you know what i mean and their yeah. own kids get the you what? tread on a piece of lego and it's armageddon you yeah, know exactly uh, so it, it it's so you spoke about some strategies about how we might um, show up there. What? Because I, I, I actually before we get there, I'm curious about how you suggested that you know work is all about this, and then at home it's about compassion and empathy. And I'm curious, is there not a space for that in in the work? Do you have to be? I guess what I'm asking is, do you have to be different people in work or on the footy field and at home, or is there? A role for those two things or is is, is there a line in, in the research that yeah you're what I've, I've probably haven't set that up very well in terms of what i'm trying to say is that when we're at work we're trying to be efficient and fast and get stuff done um, when we're at home it's much more about uh, we tend to focus on connection like there's definitely compassion in the workplace mm. there's space for it for sure um like does it, that it's improve a performance piece. oh definitely yeah. i mean one of the things uh we're looking at at the moment is getting leaders to validate people's um, reactions and emotions. Mm -hmm. So rather than, you know, the classic thing is kind of turn that frown upside down and, and someone feels someone feels sad or dejected or they, um, they're disappointed about something. And it's kind of like, well, we'll get over that and move on. Mm -hmm. And rather than what you should be doing is going, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. I totally... I, 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 
I see why that has wounded you or I see why that is a, an issue for you or I can see why that is incredibly disappointing. Mm. And it's the validation of the feelings uh, is vital. And that's something we should do in both mm. areas. Now, what I'm not saying is you should be two different people, but the reality is your environments are different mm. and you've got to tailor your uh, behaviour to suit each of those different environments. Yeah. And so um, leading to that then, so would, let's say we've had a, a day. Yep. <laughs> we've had a day, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, that kind of day. And I'm driving home and it's Sydney traffic and that's not helping my day. Yeah. And I've got <laughs> young kids at home and uh, a partner at home has probably also had a day. Yeah. <laughs> what's something or what, what's, what, what could I be doing to prepare myself to show up as best I can as I walk through that door, how, how can I walk in as the partner and the parent I want to be, yep. even though I've had that day? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, a number of years ago, I came up with a concept called the third space, which mm. is about the, well, it's about transitions in general, but one of the big ones is the transition from work to home. Right. So what we showed, and we looked at this, we spent years and years studying it and case studying and and there's key, three key things we do in that transition between work and home. Now, bear in mind, this is a very flexible model depending on your transition. Mm -hmm. But uh, the first thing is how do you reflect on the day? So most people, when they think about their day, think about didn't get to that, forgot that, screwed that up, that was a disaster, and it's very cynical. But instead, reflect on, um, okay, what went well today? Like, what was good about the day? How did I evolve today? Um, yeah, what did I achieve and what we showed is that when people reflect on those questions, they get a burst of happiness and the mindset they take home is more optimistic because it's focusing on progress and evolution, which is one of the things that lights us up the most. Mm. The second phase is called rest, and this is anything that makes you still and present. So this is really about mindfulness, some sort of mindfulness practice. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I have to do meditation. It could be... Uh, reading a fiction book it could be listening to a podcast like this on your mm. way home this would really help yeah this would definitely <laughs> share it with yeah, all your friends you, you will be an evolved <laughs> human after this um so uh but it, it, it could also be exercise could be a guy said yeah after a talk he goes i do a sudoku on the bus it's that yeah. but it's just calming the brain and what that really about is that it's reducing that cortisol level that tends to build over the day. So when we're mindful, we tend to be more calm. And so if we're in the traffic, mm. using that as an opportunity to, like even my wife, she plays a relaxation app as yep. she drives home. <laughs> um, obviously, she doesn't close her eyes, no. but um, you know, she just does the breathing. The last phase is that reset phase. Mm. And that is thinking about how um, when I show up, when I walk through that door, what impact do I want to have? What's my intention? How do I, how do I need to behave to fulfill that intention? And what we showed is that when um, leaders practice this, we saw a 43% improvement in mood in the home. Because yep. they're reflecting on what they're grateful for, they're being calmer, but they're also future focusing and thinking about, well, okay, when I walk through that door, here's the impact I want to have. Now, mm. the, the Flourish Movement project that we're doing mm. with school principals, um, and you know as well as I that mm. that's a tough gig. Mm. And uh, what we're seeing is when they practice this strategy, a 91% improvement in boundary strength, which is the ability to have a crap day and not take it home with right. you. Yeah. 
But as, as I said before, it's a really flexible model. I mean, part of that reset phase for me, I actually use negative thinking to show up as a better dad. Like I literally stand at the door and go, what if my family was like wiped off the face of the earth mm. tomorrow? Like how would I want to spend this day? Mm. And also, you know, I have daughters and I, I every night they ask me to come in for the third cuddle. Mm. And I think to myself, like how many years are they going to, are they going to ask me to do that? Mm. When do, uh, like, I don't know when that starts to become weird, like when they're a teenager. So, like, Talking I'll, to the dad will yeah. seem weird for, for them <laughs> soon. Yeah, soon enough. Great, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, it's just kind of like I almost use negative thinking to mm. go, well, how many years of this do I yeah. have? And I don't want to screw this up. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, that, that has been shown to be incredibly effective. Yeah. So I'm always interested um, by that phrase, you know, research has shown and, and, and we've, we've seen. So tell me what... What does, and I don't know how you can answer this to be honest, so I'll, I'll just go throw it down and see what you pick up. Um, what does a 41% increase or Im improvement, or a, in the case of the Flourish Movement, a 91%, what, do, what are some of the tangible things that you see as a result of that? Like how, do, how, are, pe how are people behaving as a result of that? And Oh, right. So not, not what those constructs mean, but what well, is maybe the... Well, maybe either or, yeah. Well, I mean, the, I could give you multiple examples. Um, you know, we had a principal who uh, was in our Flourish movement. Uh, I talked about the third space. He went home and he walked in the house and he put his phone in the drawer because mm. that was his action plan. He said, yep. the problem is I'm so addicted to that thing. Yep. Walks upstairs, his wife's there. He, he starts talking to her and she says, where's your phone? Yeah. He goes, oh, this guy talked about this thing today. Yeah. And it, it walked her through it and he said, so I'm, I'm putting the phone away. Yeah. And he said, she burst into tears. Wow. And she said, I cannot tell you how much it angers me that you work all those hours but mm. you come home and you're with that thing, not us. Yeah. You know, I had a, a someone, someone came up to me, this is a moment, he goes, just comes up to me, he goes, yeah, I read your book, Save My Marriage. Yeah, and he wow. said, like, I'm not being flippant mm. to save my marriage and what books that that's the third, third space, space but yeah, yeah we're going to put links to everything you're talking about in the yeah. in the show notes so people can find it because if they need to save their marriage yeah. <laughs> grab a copy of the but, book yeah. it, one of the funniest ones i was in phoenix arizona and i present to a bunch of oh crap they were it sales guys or something like blokey sort of environment mm. and i go the drinks afterwards and i'm standing there and this these two, like a, a, an older woman and a younger woman run up who, and they're crying mm. and, and then one of the guys from the conference kind of comes up and the, the older woman says to him, is, is this the guy? And I'm like, uh -oh. holy <laughs> shit, what's going on Cause here? Because there's guns in America. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're in Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, right. And, um, and, and, and he goes, yeah, this is the guy. And they hug me mm. and... I just come, I'm like, what's going on? And and she said, I don't know what you said to my husband, mm. but he came back to the hotel after the conference, after your session, sat us down and went, I'm just really sorry. Like you said, mm. I've just shown up as a jerk for so many years. Mm. And this is the biggest thing, getting back to your point before, like I get to travel with really uh, successful like CEOs and, and people at the top of the tree. And, you know, the, there's obviously a lot of ego in that, but mm. when you get to know these people, and I was doing a roadshow with some super senior executives, and um, you know, after four glasses of red, the sort of the the mask comes off, and each of them said, 
They said, yeah, I wish I'd heard this thing 20 years ago. They said, here's what I regret the most. I just showed up as as a jerk. As I came home and I took the day out on my family and, you know, I saw them as an inconvenience that got in the way of my job. And they said, yeah, like I know I did long hours, but I just I could have shown up as a, a nicer, more engaged person. Mm. And that's probably one of the biggest pieces of feedback. Mm. That and, and this is... You know, you talk about the collateral damage. You can be very successful and hardworking, but mindful of, well, ha- how do I show up as a better human and how do I interact with those people that mean the most to me? Mm. So, yeah, I, I think no matter what, who you are, um, you can choose to do more constructive um more compassionate behaviours. Mm. So let's flip it then. So from from the home, um, you know, and there's obvious benefits. It'd be very hard to yeah, mount yeah. a case as to why you want you wouldn't want any of those things yeah, we've yeah. spoken about. But again, when we're talking about peak performance, which is where you you know you said yeah. you're really passionate about that. How do you um, what you know, does does the third space? And I, it's almost a rhetorical question, I'm sure. But does the third space, or more appropriately, how might the third space and taking that approach and the mindfulness approach enhance performance in the professional setting? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's really about that concept is about transitions. Like, how do we go from one thing to another? Whether mm. it's one meeting to the next meeting, whether it's um, you know, I, I have. Uh, I'm doing admin at my desk, all of a sudden I've got to solve some sort of crisis or a problem goes wrong. And really, like, our day is just moving between these spaces. So first space is what we're doing now, second space what we're about to do. The third space is that transitional gap. And it's just how do I use this space to show up more effectively? Mm. Um, And so I've had leaders go, man, all I do is when I... As I move into the next meeting, I just ask myself that question. How do I want to show up for this? How do I, what do I want to achieve? How do I get my head in the game? Um, You know, teachers and principals say they use it all the time as they go into class, as they go into a meeting with a parent that's probably going to be horrible to them. Um, So, you know, the the transition is endless. In sport, you know, tennis players use it in between points. Cricketers, I was talking to Ian Healy about it and he saw me present this and he goes, because that's what we all do yeah. when we're batting. Ball to ball. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's as it's it's kind of as we're batting, once we're faced a ball, we kind of relax and then as the bowler's coming in, it's all right, yeah. get my head right for this. Yeah, I think I heard Steve Waugh talk about, you know, someone asked him, how do you concentrate for six hours a day? He goes, well, actually, you're only concentrating for, when you break it down, maybe yeah. an hour a day, maybe, you yeah. know, because it's a what three seconds or four seconds and then you have to yeah because you'd be exhausted otherwise and um both glenn mcgrath and ian healy i was talking to them about this concept because we were at the same conference and they went warney is the greatest Mm. at that he said he's as well as other things well (laughs) but but this is also good i mean to warney's defense they said warney's probably the greatest cricketer that Mm. they've ever seen yeah and they said, but his ability, I think it was Healy that said this, he could be on the front page of the Daily Telegraph in his undies yeah. and he walks across that, like walks through the grate onto, onto the field yeah. and he is like, his head's in the game. Mm. They said his ability to compartmentalise and transition was yeah. the best they'd ever seen. Yeah, which is interestingly... A good example of someone who was incredibly successful at that time, <laughs> successful in his professional and a bit domain, of a and perhaps a bit, yeah, some a colourful character, yeah, perhaps yes. in, uh, elsewhere. Yeah. So it, let's 
th go back to what I was talking about in terms of um, you know that either or scenario and, and what are some of the warning signs then because you know you've had um, oh I wish I knew this 20 years ago and you know what yeah. as, as much as um, you're getting out there and there's loads there is there are going to be people or, or, or maybe more maybe this is a better way of thinking about it there will be people who have people in their life who are you know, going, being very successful in one domain and having this kind of wake behind of, of all this damage. Yeah. If someone, how might someone approach this person to help them, you know, other than perhaps give them a copy of your book? But what are, what are some of the ways in which we can bring this or help people become more aware? Because not everyone's going to have the benefit of, of listening to you speak. Not everyone's going to have the benefit of a workshop with you. Yeah, my initial response to that is that that how can I help someone else change? I, I, my initial response to that is that you're probably not. Mm. I think this focuses more on the individual. Like, you know, I'll ask you, Dan, have you mm. ever you know, tried to, in a relationship, tried to change mm. someone? How did that work? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think for the individual listening to this, mm. uh, it's much more about, well, what would I do to ensure that I don't have that collateral damage in my life. Mm. And I'm still thinking about that question that you asked me before, and I think I probably did a really poor job of it. I mean, just to sort of redefine that, I think, yeah, probably that top, top elite, as you said, that British guy talked about, you probably are going to see that. But with the, the, the amount of sacrifices you have to make, it, 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 you are probably going to have that trail of destruction behind you but yeah I've worked with so many people over the years and and that ability to evolve and improve our life is is within reach of everyone and I think one of the big god we, we could get super deep on this and we start to think about meaning and purpose and contribution and actually let me ask you a question right so I've always thought most people like the wise people i tend to meet are older but they've spent their life like they've had screw-ups mm. like they've either destroyed a relationship that was really important to them or their health really suffered or they have the the stroke and then they do you in your opinion think do we need one of those big kick up the mm. butts like which is usually I think they call it the big four, which is divorce, death of a friend, health scare, um, financial ruin. Yeah. Do you think we need one of those disasters before we we wake up? And, and actually, this is a loaded question because <laughs> here's what I've been – I haven't act actively worked on it, but mm. my, my future focus is how do we not be – how do we have wisdom early and – or is it just we have to screw up and get the cuts and bruises before we sort our mm. crap out? Yes, <laughs> I, I like that. And, and I've got no idea who said this, and I'm probably going to misquote it in some way. But in the ideal world, you know, we say, you know, learning from mis mistakes is good. And, you know, but learning from other people's mistakes is probably better. Yeah. And I wonder, um, but, but then it's that bulletproof, you know, that wouldn't happen to me. Yeah, you know, I've got it all. Exactly. I've got it all yeah. together. Because I'm different. Because I'm different. Yeah. Right? I'm the one. Mm. I'm the one who's got it all figured out. And, you know, and so um, my hope 
if you're asking my opinion. My, um, my opinion is, yeah, I think you're probably right. People need those wake up. Everyone knows they shouldn't smoke, but it takes yeah. a doctor to say, hey, mate, you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, or everyone knows that they shouldn't drive fast or spend money recklessly, but they do until they get caught and, and whatever. Yeah. So, but the more we can have conversations like this, the more that we can challenge in my opinion, the norm. So, you know, we're starting to see, I think, examples just this week, and we've spoken a lot about cricket as it happens today, but, you know, just in the last two weeks, three very high-profile cricketers putting their hand up and saying, you know what, don't pick me because I'm struggling here. Yeah, and really. I think the more that, and, and, you know, and struggling, you know, so putting effort into their mental health, I think is actually, yeah. you know, the, a good way to look at this. And I think the more that that becomes the norm, you know, younger, so just using that as a context, younger cricketers coming in, hopefully, will be more aware of those things. The organisations will be more aware of those things. Parents who are pushing their kids to be cricketers will be more aware of those yeah. things. And I wonder if we can take the, um, whoever the compar whoever the counterparts are in the professional world, in the, in the legal profession, in the medical profession, in education, in, yeah, yeah. You know, the more we can have this become the norm, then my hope is that people will start learning from other people's stories. Yeah. Um, so we don't have as much collateral damage. Now that is my idealistic, optimistic um, opinion slash hope. Yeah. But um, I think that's what drives us in the work we do with others. And I'm sure it's the, what drives you in Very the work much. you do. Because if we didn't have that hope, then it's kind of well, what's the point of We're us all doing? Screwed. It? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, just thinking about the people listening to this, and I'm 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 trying to think how do I add value and how do I give takeaways. I think people listening to this can here here's one thing to consider. So I just handed in yesterday a new book. And the new book's called Strive. And what it is is kind of a compilation of the last 10 years of research that we've had. And one of the things we we discovered was this concept called the completion myth. And the completion myth is that when I achieve this, mm. then it's going to be great. And what drives these people is that when I achieve the gold medal, mm. then it's going to be just... Life all, will be awesome. Yeah, pa yeah. Uh, parades and roses. Mm. Or when I get to the CEO position, or when I make a million bucks, mm. or when I have the house on the harbour. Mm. And so what, what we've shown is that when we achieve what we want, uh, we actually go into a period of, of deep flatness and sadness mm. and uh like i don't know about you but I, i've interviewed for the book a number of gold medalists um and they said man when i came home like the first two months were awesome but after that mm. i fell apart mm. and they said i worked my whole life for this thing mm. and when i got it it didn't feel the whole that i thought it would mm. and we found this on multiple 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 levels and you know um uh, even you know business people or even people like oh i i set a goal to run a marathon mm. and i ran the marathon and i thought i'd feel really awesome but i actually went oh like what they miss and what what fulfills people the most and this is what the book talks about is the strive yeah so we actually feel best in the progress towards a goal, a vision, or an aspiration rather than when we achieve it. Yep. And what the book starts to explore is how do we start to really 
fall in love with the work and 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 the process rather than the result because most people go i want to achieve this goal and the work is the part that sucks yeah but what what uh what people said is that it's actually it's they they enjoyed the process more than the achievement is that do you think that's a universal thing or do you think because you spoke to successful people so you know you you spoke to people who had won the gold medal and could it be and you know that they got the gold medal because they reveled in that so we talk about this you've got to revel in the struggle everyone likes the idea of being great not that keen on the work it takes to be great yeah not that keen on the sacrifices and that's why without being any disrespect but they're not winning the gold medals they're not the ones at the top of their game that's such a great question because here's what we did with the book is we only included uh one case study of those elite performers Mm. all the research was done on average normal people Mm. and we didn't even include like ceos of fortune 500 because most books it's like let's find out what the ceos of fortune 500 companies let's see what steve jobs did all right okay because that'll work for me and exactly because and what I talk about in the book is that those people are freaks. Mm, like, yep. you know, some of them can sleep five hours a night. Like, mm. if I slept five hours a night, I'd be dead. Mm. They just, they're, they're unusual. So what the book looks at is, let's just look at the average person. Yep. And that's what we did. And what we found is it was even, like, it was, uh, that, that relationship was as strong yeah, in right. those people. Because that really resonates with, say, um, self-determination theory around, you know, competence. Sure. We, that's a, it's almost like a fundamental thing. We yeah. need to feel good, but also that we're stretching ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I speak sometimes about um, recognising that how do you create those conditions where people feel that they're in their stretch zone? I know it's a fairly well-worn phrase, but, you know, in this, rather than their stress or, or freaked out, you know, or, or comfort zone. And comparing so when we're in schools comparing why is it kids give up games on playstation or whatever when they get too easy right yeah. but they give up at school when it gets too hard yeah and it's a, i wonder if there's real because it sounds like if educators if bosses if coaches could really hone in on not just setting a benchmark of saying right this is how hard you need to work but actually in an idealistic world being able to tailor so adam here's your stretch area yeah, yeah. Is, it would i mean oh, there's so much i can talk to about that because i mean one of the things feel free to say i'm wrong as well no, no, i'm just no. throwing, a, throwing well, an actually, idea i will show i will talk a, a little piece like i agree with you but some of the research in the book is counter that as yeah, well because right. it's like i think the models those three concentric circles of like your comfort zone mm. then your stretch zone then your uh stress yeah. zone and you're supposed to stay out of the stress zone and just go in and out of uh, comfort to mm. stretch. So what we were doing in our research, uh, and we did with thousands of people, is we measured flow. So yep. flow is that state where you're in the zone and you're just on fire and you're engaged and you're loving what you're doing. So we measured that. Now the characteristics of flow is a high challenge. It's got to be like you don't get flow watching TV, no. right? Uh, needs all your skills. So you got to be fully engaged. Um, it's high enjoyment and high interest, mm-hmm. and time distorts. But that's not something you can control. So let's leave that to the side. Sure. So what when we're measuring, and we did this with a diary study. So it's it's in the moment. So it's not retrospective mm-hmm. because huge inaccuracies in retrospective reflection Mm. so in the moment they're going well here's i'm doing this task here's how much challenge here's how much enjoyment blah 
So when we were analysing the data and interviewing them, they said, uh, yeah, flow's great, really like it, and it's that stretch zone and I increase my skills. But they said, here's the stuff that really uh, accelerates my development and here's the stuff I'm really proud of. And the characteristics of that was high challenge, high skill, low enjoyment, low interest. So they basically said, you know, the stuff that I put off or the stuff I hate doing or the stuff that... I scares the hell out of me. Mm. That's the stuff that afterwards I go that accelerated my development far faster and also uh, increased my self-esteem. Mm. So what was interesting is that in that strive process, the thing that actually accelerated their development and made them feel good about themselves was I have to get in the trenches with the stuff that scares the hell out of me yep. and i got to fight it out mm. so it, you mentioned the word struggle mm. like what what we f what we showed is that the most fulfilling part of the strive is the struggle yep. and what the book talks about is how our relationship with struggle and discomfort has become very dysfunctional mm. and a fallout of the happiness movement has been quite dysfunctional in many ways because you talk about that strive process, the most fulfilling parts are the ones that feel worst and they are the, the furthest away from happiness. Mm. So if we have this lens of I should feel good all the time, mm. we get in those situations and what we showed is people that have this lens of I should feel good all the time, they retreat and they give up on the strive and they revert back to old safe behaviours. Mm. So part of this sort of happiness message has messed us up in many ways in our capacity to evolve yeah so you're saying the happiness message has made us more unhappy for yeah, some people very much yeah, yeah. yeah. i mean uh, uh, like some of the fault like obviously it's great to to do that but i think as human beings we just go we just go to extremes like yeah, even if you think about dieting like fat was the worst thing in the world then mm. it's carbohydrates and yeah. now they're the worst thing in the world and and we just go to these extremes. And I think we've done that with happiness. Mm. Because what, what our research showed is that people, number one, um, feel, have this mentality of I should feel good all the time. Number two, they feel guilty for feeling negative emotion. Mm. And, and one of the most fascinating things we discovered in the, the research for the book was we have a huge issue with privileged children around their mental health so if you're a rich you know in this country mm. white um you know high socioeconomic mm. child and you uh display uh dissatisfaction unhappiness the the most common response those children get is what do you got to complain about shut up yeah. be grateful yeah. look around how good have you got it yeah, yeah. and get over yourself mm. and Every time, and, the, and there's a lot of research that shows this, every time those kids reach out, mm. they're shamed. Mm. So they internalise. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a disaster. Mm. And, and that lack of, it's okay to feel that way, yeah. uh, it, it is... It's, it's really okay damaging. to feel human, is what you're saying. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you it's okay and, yeah, yeah, to, to be normal, yeah, <laughs> to be to human. To be dissatisfied <laughs> yeah, yeah. with... Um, and, and looping back to that previous point of... We we're talking about the workplace and how we should be more compassionate and rather than it's like change your attitude and and kind of a fallout also of that well if you've got negative thought and emotion you need to make it positive mm. 
is this kind of really fixed linear model where anytime we display uh, dissatisfaction, we're told, well, change your attitude or, or don't feel that way. Mm. And that's an incredibly dysfunctional way to look at it because positive emotion is important and normal and natural. And yeah, so that, that relationship and, and what the book really focuses on is how do we have a better relationship with struggle and discomfort so that we don't want to, we don't demonize it or want to run away from it. Oh, and I think, I think it was Barbara Held, she wrote this brilliant paper of the, the negative side of positive psychology. Mm. And what she was saying is that in society, our, uh, the message is positive thoughts and emotions are good and good for you yep. and negative thoughts and emotions are bad and bad for you. Yep. And what our, our research shows is it's the complete opposite. Mm. So going into that almost stretch, holy crap, what mm. am I going to do, like strain stress zone, yep. um, what people said is that, yeah, when I go there but I, I pull it out and I come out the other side, mm. I just like that That's evolves it. me. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I could talk to you for hours, and and, and I'm I'm already planning um, how I'm going to get you back on after I've read your book, Strive. Um, but I, I just, if we could finish, like, what what's um, what's what, this could be a, a, a hard question. What's one thing, or what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned over the past two or three years about human behaviour in this kind of space? Is there something that you've changed your mind on something you thought you were going to find when you were researching the book and the almost the opposite was there or oh my gosh that's such a big question um the initial thing that jumps to my mind is that one of the groups i interviewed for the book was uh trust lawyers so when i say they're lawyers that look after huge trusts mm. so we interviewed them and we interviewed so uh and I'm talking trusts that were like huge billion-dollar family trusts, yep. uh, but also native title trusts where Indigenous people have a, uh, a, a set of funds that supports them. Uh, the other group I also interviewed were welfare workers. And when I spoke to all those three groups, uh, what came out of it is that when you, when you remove expectation and struggle and challenge from people, it's a disaster. And one of the trust lawyers said, he said, I've been doing this for 30 years. And he said, the only difference between rich kids, like really rich kids and welfare kids, is how expensive the drugs are they take. He said they've got the same problem. Mm. No expectation, no challenge. They're, they're given stuff for nothing, mm. you know, whether it's welfare or like huge funds. Mm. Um, and they, they said the lack of the lack of accountability or stretch that they put these people through is very, very low. Mm. And, you know, one of the trust lawyers said that the Meyer family were brilliant at this. They made their kids work and they made their kids contribute and they, they uh, allowed them to be uncomfortable and sit mm. with discomfort. Whereas, um, you know, with the welfare workers, they said, you know, just even a really healthy thing for people on welfare is just to get them out of the house and doing something, mm. like not sitting on the lounge all day and just kind of wasting time. So one of the most interesting things was that, that when, we, 
when we don't have struggle, when we don't have discomfort, it's, it's really bad for us. Mm. And, and I mean, this is a, a kind of a huge story, but one of the things I've been doing over the last uh, number of years is uh, doing some work in Kuwait around the happiness of the country. Mm. So working with some members of the royal family to look at, well, how do we make the country happier? And one of their challenges is they literally, they're a very generous country that has so much money. And people get handouts and they're looked after. And and there, there's literally not enough struggle yeah. in that environment because it's just like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be looked after. Yeah. So I, I think one of the most interesting things I've discovered over the last couple of years is the importance of getting your butt kicked, right. the importance of being uncomfortable, the yeah. importance of um, you know not being looked after so well. And I mean... And you can probably talk to this better than me, but look at kids today and how uh, we're trying to remove struggle and discomfort from them. Mm. Yeah. So if people listening to this want to get a bit more uncomfortable and they, <laughs> and they want to uh, read your stuff, find more out about you, what would be the best place to either uh, read more of your work or, or, or get in contact? And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, just um, my website, which is dradamfraser.com, yeah. D-R-A-D-A-M. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Uh, there's resources there mm. and our research and uh, yeah, the Strive book comes out in February to 2020. Yeah. Um, so that'll be on shelves and um, yeah. Excellent. And we'll put a link maybe also to um, that TEDx, I think you've got TEDx talk on the third space. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so TEDx I'll, talk. I'll, I'll put a link on. And also on people in education, you know, we're doing a, a, a huge project uh, called the Flourish Movement, yeah. which looks at the mental health and well-being of school leaders. Yeah. So, so we'll put yeah. all that in there. Yeah. All right. But um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. My really, really you. enjoyed the t- chat. And uh, as I said, I think I'll have a read of uh, Strive when it comes out and hopefully we'll catch up again next <laughs> I'll year. I'll send and, you a copy. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> thank, thank you. If you found our conversation today worthwhile, then make sure you check out the show notes. Down there, you will find um, a link to the article, The Negative Side of Positive Psychology, written by Barbara Held. You'll also find links to where you can uh, get yourself a copy of Adam's book, The Third Space, as well as uh, find his website, dradamfraser.com. And also, if you're an educator, if you're a school leader, you may well be interested in checking out The Flourish Movement. And again, the link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's conversation, could I also please ask you that you share this with your network and you like it and you comment on it. By doing this, it helps other people who might not yet have heard of us to find us wherever they get their podcasts. And of course, it's always great when we get a little notification that we've got one more subscriber. So if you could do that, if you could take one moment to do that, that would be really, really appreciated. If you are interested in finding out more about the Habits of Leadership and programs that we run and and how we can work with you, then head over to habitsofleadership.com where all the information is there, as well as the opportunity for you to get involved in the show by asking us a question you can leave it via voicemail or you can type it into the form also if you have a suggestion for a a guest perhaps that you would like to hear on the show or perhaps you yourself would like to be a guest again all you need to do is head over to habitsofleadership.com but until next time thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it and take care take it easy